Well, turn with me again back to Exodus chapter 20. So we continue our series in the Ten Commandments and come to the Eighth Commandment today. And since we haven't for a little while, I'm going to read um, up to where we've come here today, beginning at, at the beginning of Exodus 20, and read through the, uh, through the commands to the Eighth in verse 15. So here... God's holy, infallible word. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself an idol, or any likeness of what is in heaven above, or in the earth beneath, or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male, your female servant, or your cattle, or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land in which the Lord your God gives you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. I often give you some survey statistics, uh, not just because I'm fascinated with stats, uh, but because it reveals the need of our day, often in maybe sort of an unseen way, uh, the particular sinful or other tendencies in our, in our culture, um, things maybe that we face uh, in the world out there, or maybe things that are in our hearts, um, our own hearts, maybe unseen to some degree. I found a piece of survey data that was uh, cited multiple times across various commentaries and sources that I was looking at uh, preparing for this sermon. Um, it was a, a, a bit of Barna research almost from almost 30 years ago but on, on the Ten Commandments. And uh, it was asking American Christians, not just Americans generally, but those who identify as Christians, uh, to identify any of the Ten Commandments that they had kept. That they, they had, I forget I was worded exactly, fully satisfied uh, that, that command. And the Eighth Commandment stood out. 86% of people checked that box. Uh, I've kept that commandment, uh, fulfilled all of its requirements. It's been something of a theme in our study in the Ten Commandments, and some of you have, have said uh, this has been somewhat eye-opening uh, to see the depth and the breadth of each of these commands as the Scriptures open them up to us. Um, they're a window into the depth and breadth of the grace of God that covers sin in these areas and that is uh, renewing us uh, in many and deep ways uh, in each of these uh, commands to be like him. One of the principles of understanding the Ten Commandments that we've considered is that uh, each of them is, is like a two-sided coin. Uh, there's, there's both the negative, the prohibition, God is saying, stay away from this, flee this, uh, and the positive, each of uh, the commands equally requires something of us. It calls us 
to something good, uh, a way that we can be like God and, and his character. So we're going to look at, at both sides of that coin again today and uh, maybe see there are more ways than perhaps we thought. Again, that we can break the Eighth Commandment, uh, maybe more ways that we, than we thought that we can fulfill it, and more ways than we thought that we're being renewed in the likeness of Jesus uh, in the Eighth Commandment. One verse uh, uh, that neatly and clearly states the Eighth Commandment in both the positive and the negative, and I think this is the first one on your half sheet there, is Ephesians 4.28. So Paul begins this verse, let, no let, let the thief no longer steal, there's the negative, but rather, the positive, let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And that, that really captures all that we're going to consider this morning. No longer stealing, but working hard and giving. Right? And there are many, many ways. We'll talk about some of the ways we've come up with as humans to steal. Um, and then, uh, rather, as Paul says, we'll consider working or stewarding uh, what really belongs to God. All that we have, our time, our talents, and opportunities, and so on, not wasting them, which is essentially stealing from God uh, what he has given, uh, in order to, finally, give, to be generous with others. Uh, the flip side of taking is giving, right? being generous. And, and the Bible commends and commands that uh, often of those who know uh, lavishly gracious and generous God. Well, I want to consider briefly, though, first, number one in your outline, as we could with any of the commands, how breaking the Eighth Commandment it, it most fundamentally breaks the First Commandment. We've talked a little bit about this relative to the First Commandment. Uh, but how, how God's Eighth Commandment has to do with a relationship with Him. Uh, and I think that'll help us think more carefully, more fully, about the Eighth Commandment this morning. So first, breaking the Eighth Commandment is, is fundamentally a sin against God. How is that true? I want to suggest three ways. Uh, three ways. It's, it's first, a failure to trust God. Maybe you haven't thought about the Eighth Commandment in that way, but breaking the Eighth Commandment is simply a failure to trust God in His providence. Right? Do not the, the Scriptures teach that uh, we're to look to God for our needs. We're to rely on God for our needs. We're not to uh, look to personal violence for justice. The Sixth Commandment would speak to that. We're not to look to um, uh, sexual fulfillment outside of marriage for relational fulfillment. The Seventh Commandment would speak to that. Uh, and the eighth, likewise, Jesus says we're not even to worry uh, about the things that we need uh, or want. Uh, he knows what we need. And so breaking the eighth commandment necessarily is reaching outside of his providence, what he provides to be fulfilled or to be happy or to get what we think we need. Not trusting him to provide. Uh, taking matters into our own hands, maybe literally, um, uh, selfishly, and at the cost of someone else. Taking uh, from others. So it's a failure to trust God, most fundamentally. Secondly, uh, breaking the Eighth Commandment is, is stealing from God. Uh, in this sense, first, that it's, it's taking what God has provided to others. Uh, God's providence to others, we're, we're taking that for ourselves. It's, it's really stealing from God, in, in a sense. And, and thirdly, there are ways to steal from God that in, in not using or stewarding what he has loaned to you to use for his glory. Uh, and we'll come back to that a little bit later in talking about stewardship. 
We can also think about the interconnectedness of the, the commands in this way. Um, the first commandment, again, uh, serving the one true God alone. Uh, worshiping idols, being part of what's prohibited there, whether a, uh, an actual pagan god or work or sex or leisure or whatever it might be, is, is robbing God of his glory. Right? It's, it's stealing. Uh, the fourth commandment, using the Lord's day however you please, neglecting the, the worship of God, again, is, we could describe it as stealing, robbing from God his, his day or his glory. Uh, the sixth commandment, breaking the sixth commandment, is, is stealing the life that God has given. So again, we can uh, just want us to think about how, how connected these, these commands are, reflecting the character of God. So how do we break the eighth commandment? How do we fail to be who we are in Christ uh, relative to the eighth commandment would be another way to think about that. Well, there are, as you see, uh, number two on your outline, there are many ways to steal. Our, our devious hearts have come up with so many ways uh, to do this, um, I, I in preparing this week, I struggled a little bit of how to how just to organize a, an overview of the the many many ways there are to uh, to do this. Uh, I've come up with several rough categories. Uh, I think I think I have five. Um, uh, briefly, the, the first would be maybe what what most readily comes to mind when we think of the when we hear the simple eighth commandment: "You shall not steal." And that would be, we might say, uh, blatant criminal stealing. We have all kinds of words for this in our, in our society, shoplifting, um, burglary, uh, robbery, hijacking, um, and so on. And these are probably the things on Americans' minds when uh, Barna comes knocking and says, you know, are there any of the Ten Commandments that you have fully kept? And people think, well, yeah, I'm, I'm not a shoplifter, a hijacker, or, or something like that. Uh, a second category would be just the the business world. There are many, uh, many illegal ways that we would all recognize to steal in the business world, and they have technical names like embezzlement and extortion and money laundering and, and things like that. Um, there, there are also, I would suggest, many legal ways to steal uh, in the business world, uh, more subtle ways. I uh, think of the area of advertising. Uh, nothing inherently wrong with advertising at all, uh, but it, very often there's false representation of what you're trying to sell, and there are some laws about that. But I think they don't they don't catch a lot of a lot of what goes on. You falsely represent something, and you take someone's money for it. It's it's stealing. Uh, or uh, what's common in advertising is making people feel they have a need for something that they don't, and taking their money for it, or feeling that they're inadequate unless they have your product, and taking their money for it. Uh, related to that would be things like price gouging. Uh, the, the Bible, uh, there's, there's what the Bible calls usury. That's uh, charging exorbitant interest rates, uh, often taking advantage of people who, who don't have other options. Uh, you could look at examples like payday lenders, um, almost always stationed in poor areas, preying on, on those who are most unable to pay back. Uh, least likely to understand the system, and so on. Uh, governments certainly can steal um, and, and do in multiple ways, arguably through uh, high unjust taxes at times, um, certainly through wasting public resources. Uh, wasting public money is a form of, of stealing uh, that a government does. Um, another category would be intellectual 
theft. Uh, copyright infringement or, or related in our day, there's piracy of music and movies uh, online uh, or, or digitally. Um, plagiarism or cheating in school. Have you thought of that, Owen and Kenzie, as a way to steal, taking what, what belongs, the knowledge that belongs to someone else, using it for your own benefit, uh, identity theft, and, and so on. And we're just re- really just scratching the surface of the ways that the human heart has come up with to uh, take what doesn't belong to them. I, I want to, fifthly, spend a little more time on one other broad category. And, and these would be, it's very broad, more common maybe even acceptable in some cases, ways to break the Eighth Commandment. Maybe things we don't recognize or think about as much as the previous things. Most of the things I've mentioned already, most people would readily recognize that that's wrong. Many of them are illegal. Um, but things maybe we don't think about as much as we should. There's, there's a picture from many years ago in the Saturday Evening Post. Um, it's not Norman Rockwell, but it's that, that style and if you're in the sermon discussion later, you'll, I have it on the sheet so you can, so you can see it. But um, it, the, the picture, there's, there's two people. On the one side, you're seeing them both in profile. There's a, there's a sweet-looking uh, lady, well-dressed lady, and then there's a friendly, um, friendly-looking butcher. Uh, they're facing each other. And between them is a scale, a butcher's scale with a raw chicken or something on it that, that's being weighed. And obviously, so the butcher can price it. And, and both of them are looking up at the part of the scale with, well, above with the dial on it, right, to, to see how much is owed. And the, the butcher, though, for his part, is as, as he's looking up behind the chicken and the, and the butcher's paper, he's, he's subtly pushing down on the scale with his finger, right? But on the other side of the picture, the lady, the sweet lady, is pushing up. Or on the scale. At the same time, they, they can't see each other doing this. Um, they're both, I think, presented as, as respectable citizens. Both would probably strongly object to being called a thief, right? They, they would never rob a bank or, you know, mug someone and take their purse. But it's, it's humorous, and it's, you, we, we get the picture um, because it reflects maybe something of the thief in, in many of us. We, we, the, the tendency to Take advantage, right, subtly when, when opportunities arise or just to say, well, this is just a little thing or everybody's doing this, right? But that's not the holiness that, that God calls us to. There are small thefts that people easily excuse themselves of, probably thinking, well, everybody does it. I mean, taking, taking things from a hotel room or uh, office supplies from work. Uh, in, in fact, it's estimated that uh, theft by employees, not, not big illegal like embezzlement and that kind of thing, just uh, little stuff that goes on all the time. Theft by employees of their companies amounts to 10 times more than street theft every year. Uh, and there are many ways to steal from an employer, taking office supplies or um, exaggerating expense accounts, uh, wasting time, uh, wasting time. Stealing is, is stealing from a company, uh, surfing the internet, or not working diligently when, when you're on the clock. Uh, wasting time can be done outside of work as, as well, of course. There are similar ways to sort of reverse it, to steal from clients uh, in the business world. Again, not doing your best, charging for time that, that wasn't well spent or, or was wasted. 
Uh, there's the realm of our, our duty towards the government. Of course, not paying taxes is a form of, of stealing uh, from the government. But more subtly and, and more commonly would be just underreporting income, right, or overclaiming exemptions. It's stealing from the government. Really, it's stealing from the public, right? Stealing from your neighbors uh, who, who are paying their taxes. Uh, there, there are ways to steal. Maybe we need to think more about relative to uh, repayment uh, or debt. Uh, buying on credit without any intention to repay. Uh, you're, you're, you're taking goods and services and, and you're not giving something in return. Um, or being uh, just careless and then becoming unable to repay uh, is theft as well. Um, defaulting on a loan. Now you might argue, well in most cases there's collateral and so the collateral is taken and, and everything's square. And, and there's a sense in which that's true. I think, I think Christians should consider, you know, you've signed a contract, you've received goods and services, you've signed promise to repay. Uh, Psalm 37 says it's, it's the wicked who do not repay. Uh, some loans are unsecured. Um, student loans, uh, credit cards essentially provide an unsecured loan every time you use it. Um, it it's more tempting to let those things go uh, or to negotiate paying less than you owe when it, when it piles up and, and becomes a bother. Uh, less than you signed your name and, and believers carry the name of Christ in all that we do. Uh, less than we signed our name to repay in full. Um, owing, owing things to like these or back taxes, these are another example of ways to, to break the Ten Commandments and not repaying. Uh, sometimes people pile up years and years of these things, own ta- owed taxes or something, and then negotiate to pay less than what they actually owe for the years and years of what, what is piled up. From a biblical worldview, that's immoral. It doesn't matter whether it's accepted or legal. Uh, whether student loans or back taxes or whatever it is, it's, it's stealing from all of your neighbors who have paid their taxes or paid whatever it is for those years, honestly. Uh, as, as followers of Christ, as, as salt and light, as witnesses, Christians ought to pay every dollar we owe, going back as far as we owe it. For student loans, for credit cards, for back taxes, whatever. Sadly, there are, there are organizations, even Christian organizations, that help people to counsel people to play the system and to pay less than they owe, to, to negotiate um, and to steal. The, the Bible, this is one of the reasons the Bible cautions about debt in the first place. Now, can debt be forgiven? Yes, I think biblically, in certain circumstances, it, it can. I think it's limited biblically to more personal loans, private loans, where an individual can, can choose to take on themselves the, the loss, right? But certainly, I, not generally, biblically, with something like government loans or, or taxes, that, that money belongs to your neighbors. It belongs to millions of people uh, who, who are cheated in a, in a sort of settlement or a failure to pay. I'll touch on one other application. It used to be fairly universally understood this way, uh, universally understood that gambling uh, was a form of theft and was a social harm, a social evil, uh, and not good. Not, I don't mean just in the church. It was societally, generally, globally uh, understood this way 
uh, certainly among the church. This has always been the view of the church. If you go back just to 1963, so not that uh, long ago, um, uh, really, in, in, in history, there were no state lotteries uh, at all in the United States. They didn't exist. Because it was generally understood by the entire public that it was a public evil, that it was bad. Uh, 1964 is the first state lottery ever, and, and of course it exploded from there. More, more recently, um, most forms of gambling have been legalized in, in all of the states, uh, sports, sports betting being the most, most recent and explosive one. And, and so the whole attitude just in our generation has, has completely flipped on that question. The Bible doesn't speak explicitly to gambling, uh, but, but how would or, and how did historically a biblical worldview and principles speak to gambling? Well, one question to ask is how, how are money and resources gained biblically? There's, there's really one way. It's you do work, you, you provide goods and services, and you trade them with someone for their goods and services or, or for money. That's how you get money. You, you take care of your neighbor. That's God's design. Um, the, really, the only other way is, is a gift a, a, out of love and care, a, a gift made to someone. Uh, gambling, lotteries, etc. Et are predicated on trying to get something for nothing. Right? That's the whole idea. You, ha- you do nothing. You do no good for your neighbor. You just take their money. Uh, that's, that's all it is. Um, someone else has to lose money for nothing in return. Um, a- a- an attempt to take someone else's money for nothing is, is theft, right? To profit from their harm. That's, that's really what gambling is. It's, it's predicated on greed for other people's money. It's, uh, so it's a, potentially a Tenth Commandment issue as well. Um, it recklessly risks resources uh, that, that don't belong to you. Um, ultimately, they belong to God. Uh, just last year, so these, are, these are 2022 statistics, uh, $60 billion uh, was risked and lost in commercial gambling. Uh, so casinos and online, that sort of thing. Uh, it's reported, secondly, the, the, or separately, the tribal casinos, that's another $40 billion in the United States, risked and lost, and then $60 billion risked and lost in the state lotteries. That's, two, that's over $200 billion that God provided in his providence as a stewardship to the people of the United States that was flushed down the proverbial toilet for, for, no, for no benefit to our neighbors. Um, and and another, another point is simply that gambling, especially lotteries, are overwhelmingly as theft, are overwhelmingly a theft of the poor. They're a theft of the poor. Those making less, this is again, statistics from last year, uh, those making less than $10,000 a year, last year, spent an average, all of them spent an average of $600 on lottery tickets. And we can say there's foolishness involved there and so on, but that, that's, that's the group of people that the money is being taken from largely. Uh, Paul's famous warning in 1 Timothy 6 is pertinent relative to this, where he says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And, and I think all, all gambling has a love of money at its root, a desire to get rich quick without any work, uh, without any good done to your neighbor, and to profit from his loss. Um, so 
the fact that it's legal and that people participate willingly in it doesn't change the, the ethics of it. The, that, I think that's, a, uh, that's the, the fair biblical view of it. It relates very, very clearly to the Eighth Commandment. Well, well, so much for all the ways that we can steal. And again, we're just sort of scratching the surface. What does the Eighth Commandment call us toward? Uh, what good does it require? How, how does it point us to how we're being redeemed in Christ? I want to suggest it's a call to three things. A call to three things, on, on number three on your outline. Uh, first, a call to stewardship. A call to stewardship. Uh, what does it mean to own something? What does it mean to own something? Um, the Eighth Commandment itself uh, assumes and teaches as in a, as, and is a very important part of the, found, the Christian foundation of private property, our understanding of the right of private property. Uh, the Eighth Commandment has no meaning uh, if, if there isn't private property, uh, if it's not a real thing. But biblically, we can say more about property. Ownership really is, is receiving from God and using for his glory. Uh, you're not fully autonomous in terms of private property. A steward is someone who takes care of, someone who uses someone else's property in the way that they would have you use it. Jesus tells several parables to that effect that picture him going away and leaving uh, what, what his disciples, what his people, his servants have, and they're to use those things for his glory, for his kingdom, and, and present them to him when he returns. Uh, we're called to work diligently with our time, with our talents, our money, our property. I, I think much bigger than our, just our money. All that we have, all that we are, um, God has given if you, have, uh, if you have skills and education and, and opportunities, uh, rich things that God has provided, and you uh, decide to be a ski bum, uh, you, you want to work at a ski area on limited hours just because it affords you the lifestyle you want and because it's easy, uh, you're probably not stewarding what God has given you. Well, I'm thankful for people who work lift lines, and I love, I love skiing and things, so nothing against that. But there, there are ways even to choose work that may be, in some sense, stealing from, from the rich blessings that God has given to you. Uh, the Christian needs to consider God's calling. How, how would God have me use the time and talents and opportunities and experiences and, and all of this that he's brought together in my life uh, for his kingdom as a stewardship? How am I called to use and not to waste, not to steal, in a sense, God's property. Uh, and, and doing the easiest job available or making early retirement the goal of your life, as, as many books and, and things would, uh, th these are not really options for the Christian. And that's, that's not to say that each of us has to do something great or become something worldly great uh, at all. Uh, there's, there's faithfulness in this, just in, in ordinary lives, ordinary jobs, and, and so on. Um, but it's about our, our mindset towards what God has given. All that you have and all that you are is a calling and a stewardship from God. Uh, and to, to squander it for yourself or in laziness or something is, is stealing from God. Uh, and is, is part of what the, the Eighth Commandment commends us to. Uh, secondly, it's a call to sacrificial giving. Uh, to generosity. Again, uh, I'll read Ephesians 4.28 because it summarizes all of this so well. Let the thief no longer steal, 
but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, what is, what is our reason, what is our motive for giving as Christians? Uh, it, it's the most powerful motive there could possibly be. It's not just being nice. Uh, 2 Corinthians 8 Paul describes it this way, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Our our motive is the lavish, sacrificial, undeserved generosity uh, of the omnipotent and glorious God for you personally. Uh, There's a sense in which generosity costs the Christian nothing. Generosity costs the, the person who is in Christ nothing. Uh, you, you cannot lose what is most valuable, what's most needed if you're in Christ. Uh, you cannot lose your eternal inheritance and peace and prosperity in the new heavens and new earth forever. Your, the love of God of you as a child, you can't lose this by giving too much. Uh, the, the men uh, on Saturday morning have been studying First uh, Thessalonians, and we're talking a little bit about the the Thessalonians that that church's circumstances and their um, their hardships and suffering. And uh, Paul references that in Second Corinthians eight when he's uh, we we read part of this broader section this morning. Uh, he's encouraging the Corinthians to give towards this gift for the poor in Jerusalem, and he shares with them the example of the Thessalonians and the Philippians. And he says, in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. That's really oxymoronic. Their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity. But it's because of their joy in Christ. It's our abundance of joy and the riches in Christ that is to overflow in generosity. That's what the Eighth Commandment Uh, positively calls us to. That's so often, in so many ways, not my attitude. That's not our attitude as as wealthy American Christians, as as it could be or should be. Uh, Jesus' call to his disciples so often was a call to suffer as an alien, to expect persecution, to expect loss, to uh, enjoy fellowship with his sufferings to die to self, to sacrificially give to others. We, we uh, considered last week in evening worship, those who are there, this, this call to love and willingness to lose, willingness to be slapped on both cheeks. I think the American dream and American prosperity has taught me, maybe taught all of us to some degree, that the call of the Christian life is, is a call to respectable, prosperous life. And and justifies complaining whenever the government or others butt in on that dream. It's a call to build businesses and build success stories for Jesus. To avoid drugs and not swear and be respectable. You and I are called to pour ourselves out in generosity. Not clinging to the things in this world. We're, We're called to imitate our Father in that way. Not only just not stealing giving generously. And we do that remembering the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2. 
We do that trusting God that he will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4. We're generous, trusting God enough, being excited enough to enter into his work and identify with his kingdom, his lasting kingdom, that we would have the, the, the attitude of the Hebrews. Uh, in Hebrews 10, if, if you don't remember any of these other references this morning, just chew on this one later today. It's incredible what the writer of the Hebrews says about them in Hebrews 10.34. He says, you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Is that possible? Is that possible for us? You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. What is, what is my money? What is my property? What is my time for this brief moment when, when I inherit everything in Christ? Paul is saying that's, that's what they knew. And so as they were carried off to prison and their stuff was taken and their bank accounts were emptied, they, they were so rejoicing in Christ. His promise, uh, Paul's promise to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 9, again, was you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Uh, we're, we're to hold what we have with, with an open hand, as it were, because it doesn't belong to us. It's not ours, ultimately. The Bible doesn't condemn wealth at all. There, there are many examples, godly people who are wealthy in the scriptures, and it's considered a blessing. But the Bible does over and over and over warn about money and wealth, and it's corrupting influence potentially the power that it can have over us and and what is the best way to guard against the power that money can have over us it's to give it away to be generous not to be tied to it in that way kent hughes has this great memorable comment about the eighth commandment in this way he says every time i give i declare that money does not control me Perpetual generosity is a perpetual de-deification of money. That's a great thing to keep in mind. Finally, uh, the Eighth Commandment is a call, positively, to saving faith. Because the Eighth Commandment, with all the other commands, uh, condemns us. It shows us our guilt. It shows us how we've broken it, how we've failed to fulfill it. Uh, But in doing that, it points us to the gospel. It points us to the Savior who uh, never stole anything. Jesus never wasted time. He never wasted resources. He never wasted his Father's call in his life. Uh, He only gave up the glories of heaven. He became a worm in in the words of the scriptures. Despised and rejected and killed for you. And Jesus was killed between what? Two thieves, right? He was literally numbered with the thieves uh, to pay the sins of thieves. Those of us who have in many ways stolen his glory, stolen his gifts, and stolen from his providence to other uh, uh, image bearers of God. All of this in your place so that you could be counted among God's children. So the Eighth Commandment is a call to believe the gospel. It, it condemns us, but, but along with the other commands, it gives us a glorious glimpse. Also, the selfless, generous, contented, and, and trusting in God people that we're being renewed 
to be, uh, as the Eighth Commandment describes. I'll just close with a, a comment also of uh, Phil Riken on the Eighth Commandment. He says, the first thief to be saved was the one hanging next to Jesus on the cross. The one who said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus gave him all the answers he gives to every lawbreaker who turns to him in repentance and faith. You will be with me in paradise. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for uh, this time to consider your word again this morning, to consider your gracious law, your holy character, uh, to consider who we are in Christ, who you're renewing us to be. We pray that you would continue to make us in his image, that you would help us to be faithful stewards uh, and uh, lavishly generous um, in, in imitation of you. Uh, we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.